So we will notice just some different readings from the book of Revelation uh, this evening. If you look in Revelation 1 and verse 3, notice he says, Blessed is he that reads these words. Blessed is he that reads these words. So we just want to read some of these sayings. The best way to understand the Bible is to read it. And try to remember what you read. So that when you read something new, you can use what you know to help you understand what you're reading at that current time. That's what we do with the book of Revelation. And so let's start out here in the last book of this of, of our scriptures and just read Revelation chapter 1, 1 through 3 to begin with. Revelation chapter 1, 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm reading this evening from the American Standard Version of 1901 translation. And I know we'll have different translations. Just, just be patient with that. And uh, m- most of the words will connect. Some of them might just be a little different. Uh, revelation 1, 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show unto his servants even the things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare witness of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, even of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of the prophecy, and keep the things that are written therein, for the time is at hand. Alright? So, you see the worksheet here, and... We'll just work through this worksheet and try to remind ourselves of some important truths that are contained in these verses. Okay. Notice uh, things which must shortly come to pass. Okay. So this is, um, in one way, Revelation is a book of prophecy. It is telling about some things that are, that are about to unfold, some historical events that will unfold uh, shortly, or at least not in the not too d- distant future, uh, from the life of John and his contemporaries and others who would be associated with the first century uh, church. And so many of the um, teachings in the book of Revelation will have to do with encouraging the Christians of those early days and most of us understand there's a lot of persecution of Christians in these early days. And so encouraging them uh, through reminding them about the Lord, but also trying to help them understand the actual events that were heading their way uh, in those early days. And so some things that must shortly come to pass. This combines the fact that... uh, it will certainly happen because God is saying it's going to happen, but also it's, it's relating the idea that in the not-too-distant future, from John's situation he's in here, uh, these events will begin to unfold. Okay. Now, that is from their vantage point, not ours. Okay. Book of Revelation does not prophesy about contemporary events in our day other than helping us to look toward heaven it doesn't prophesy about events in our day it was it was concerning things that would shortly come to pass uh, in regard to John's day 
okay, and his contemporaries. Okay, and you can see that easily there. So what kind of book are we dealing with here? We're dealing with a book of prophecy. In fact, notice it there in verse 3. Blessed is he that hears the words of this prophecy. This prophecy. Okay. But it's also a symbolic book. Notice, at least from the American Standard Version, it says, uh, He sent and signified these things by his angel unto his servant, uh, John. So, uh, we, we are told here early on that this will be a different kind of book. Okay, it, will, it will be a book of symbols. And symbols are things that represent other ideals. They represent spiritual ideals mostly or may represent something that, is, that has been taught in the Bible in other places. Okay? But symbolic language. Many scholars be- believe that the reason there's so much symbolic language used here is that the Christians would understand the symbols, but those of the world would not. And so if somebody from the world or the persecuting officials got a hold of the book of Revelation, then they wouldn't know what they would be reading because they're not, they would not know about Christianity. They would not know about many of the Old Testament ideals that are expressed in this book. And so blessed is he that, that reads and that hears um, the words of this prophecy. Okay. Notice all the S words here. That might be something to consider. Notice um, that he's going to signify these things uh, to John, and John's going to relate these to others. Notice that John is called a servant, and that the other church members here in verse 1 are called servants as well. Okay. Notice at the end of verse 2 that these are things that John will see. Okay. Jesus will show these things by his angel to John. John will see these things, and then John will relate these things uh, to the churches of, of Asia, okay, and then eventually to us as well. Okay. Notice the beatitude here in verse number 3 before we move on. It's, uh, it's interesting, and, and I encourage you, if you haven't done it in a while, to notice the different beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Okay. So you look them up on your own. Um, here is one. Revelation 14, 13 would be one. There's a couple of beatitudes in, in Revelation chapter um, 22. And so there's a few others uh, interspersed uh, in some of the chapters. But there are several beatitudes uh, in the book of Revelation. The first one here is verse 3. And notice how much verse 3 helps us in our study of Scripture. We're already been helped. Because one of the first things that you do when you're studying the Bible, you're saying, okay, what kind of, what kind of, um, what kind of scripture am I reading? What kind of material am I reading? Uh, sometimes it's a letter from Paul, a letter from Paul to a church. Okay, so that gives us a good idea of what, we, what kind of literature that we're reading. Sometimes it's historical books. A lot of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is following the steps of Jesus and telling the events of Jesus and recording some of the things that he was saying and some of the things that people were saying to him and some of the things they wanted uh, from him and eventually records the crucifixion. So sometimes we're just reading history. Okay, sometimes we're reading a letter, a personal letter from somebody. But here in Revelation, it's a symbolic uh, book. Notice verse 3. The blessing is upon the one who reads and then secondly, the one that hear, who hears what he's reading. And then thirdly, the blessing is upon the one who 
who hears and understands what he's reading and then keeps it in his life. He, he obeys it. He puts it. He applies it uh, in it to his life. Revelation 1 verse 3 tells us that this book can be understood. It can be understood. By and large, it can be understood. It's not all mystery. A lot of it is very mysterious, but, um, but some of it's not. And so by reading and rereading, we can, we can get an idea of the book. So a pop, how do you say that word? I, apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. That's not a word I use, but I know what you mean, and that's what the, the word revelation means, symbolic language. Right. So. If it wasn't disguised, then it was a book of treason against Rome. Okay. And the emperor. Right. So Mike is saying that if it had not been disguised, it could have been looked upon as a a treason type act. All right, so moving now, let's read uh, Revelation 1, verses 4 and 5 together. Revelation 1, 4 and 5. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits that are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and... Loosed us, what this one says, maybe washed us from our sins by his blood. Okay, that's far enough on that one. Let's notice a couple of these phrases here. This is, um, the first section here was about the type of book this is. second part of this is about the Godhead. The Godhead. So notice how the Father is described. The one who is and who was and who is to come. So what is that saying about God the Father? Who, who is and who was and who is to come? What's that saying about God the Father? He always is and always has been and, and he just is eternal. A couple passages, Isaiah 57, 15. God, the one that's lifted up, he inhabits eternity. He inhabits eternity, Isaiah 57, 15. Also, you might want to write down Romans 16, 26, where Paul mentions the eternal God. The eternal God. And so God the Father there is mentioned in the first part of John's uh, writings. And then notice that the Holy Spirit is mentioned next. It says the seven spirits before the throne. The seven spirits before the throne. That's just a, a way of saying the Holy Spirit. Why he, you might ask, well, why didn't he just say Holy Spirit and say, instead of saying seven spirits? Well, there's got to be a reason for it. The, the number seven, as you've often heard, uh, often carries the idea of complete with it. Absolutely complete, complete perfectly complete. The Spirit's role uh, in bringing salvation was mainly to reveal truth. 2 Peter chapter 1, 20 and 21 speaks about how that 
holy men of God spake as they were moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit in revealing truth to people and then also being with them as they write Scripture, He has done this in the most complete and perfect way. You could not have done a better job at all in heaven or earth than what the Spirit did with the holy men who have brought us the Bible. Okay. So the seven spirits before uh, the throne is just a way of referring to the Holy Spirit. You'll run into this phrase, seven spirits, again. Chapter 3, verse 1. Revelation 3, verse 1. Revelation 4 and verse 5. And also Revelation 5 and verse 6 mentions uh, the Holy Spirit as the seven spirits uh, before the throne. Okay. And then Jesus is mentioned here in verses 4 and 5 as the faithful witness. Three ways. Jesus is mentioned as the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's a great way of summing up Jesus Christ, isn't it? He's the faithful witness. Jesus was faithful in his life on earth. He lived a perfect life. 1 Peter 2.22, of course, says he did no sin. Neither was God found in his mouth. He was, he was perfect in his living. Okay. He was also perfect in his teaching. All right. He was faithful in his teaching. And we studied a few Wednesday nights ago uh, the chapter of John 14, where Jesus said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father except uh, through me. So he's, the faith, he's faithful in living, faithful in teaching, also faithful in death. Jesus did not stop until he finished what he came to do, which was, in one way, to die for our sins. And so he was faithful in death. Under some of the most severe trials we've ever, ever, ever seen a man go through, the crucifixion, Jesus remained faithful. He carried the sins of the world. So he suffered physically. He suffered emotionally. He suffered in ways we can't even understand. But he was faithful in that. So he's the faithful witness. But also he's the firstborn from the dead. That is his resurrection. Now be turning your Bibles over to Romans 6 for just a second. Romans 6 is going to explain, I think, what is meant by us when it says Jesus is firstborn from the dead. He wasn't the first one raised from the dead. There are other resurrections conducted in the Bible. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead before he himself was ever raised from the dead. He raised other people from the, from the dead. But Jesus was the first to be raised from the dead and then right away to grasp absolute immortality. Others that were raised died after the resurrection. Lazarus eventually died. But notice what it said in Romans 6 and verse number 8 and 9. Romans 6, 8 and 9. But if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death has no more dominion over him. See, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he didn't die anymore. Death has no more dominion over him. Notice back in Revelation chapter 1, 
17 and 18, how that Jesus tells John, I am the living one. I was dead, but now I am alive forevermore. See that? And so Jesus is the firstborn from the dead in that he was raised from the dead to, to right away be able to grasp absolute uh, immortality. And of course, his resurrection accomplished so many things in our behalf. So we, we, he, can't, he overcame death so that we could also overcome death uh, through him. And then he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. This would be very meaningful to these early Christians because they were suffering. Many of them were being persecuted. Many of them were being dragged away from their homes, from their jobs, from their families, uh, from their cities by the Roman officials. And so for them to be reminded that Christ is still ruling, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth, this should bring some sort of perspective uh, to them. It wouldn't be easy to have this perspective, but it was something that they needed to understand as well. Turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and notice the position of Christ after his resurrection. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 19, talks about God's great power and the strength of his might. Verse 20, which he showed in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him to sit at his right hand in the heavenly places. Notice verse 21 of Ephesians 1, 21. Verse 21 of Ephesians 1. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come has put all things in subjection under his feet gave him to be the head of all things to the church which is his body. But notice how Jesus was exalted to that ultimate position and part of that ultimate position after his resurrection was he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. So notice this in Revelation 1. Verses 4 and 5. Right. Remember last Wednesday we were studying from Hebrews 3 and it says Moses was faithful. And he was faithful. But no one could be as faithful as Jesus. And Jesus was faithful as a son. Moses was faithful as a servant. Hebrews 3, 5 and 6. But Jesus is faithful as a son. Jesus is the faithful witness, firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Let's read together now Revelation 1 for this next section. which talks about the work that Jesus did in bringing salvation. Revelation 1, we'll start uh, 5 through 8 this time. I suppose it would be better to get out of Ephesians and go back to Revelation. Revelation 1... Uh, and from Jesus Christ, Revelation 1.5, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us. Notice this. Unto him that loved us. This is a big part of Jesus bringing salvation to this earth. He loved us. He loosed us from our sins. What does your translation have there? Washed. Washed. 
But he washed us from our sins by his blood. We're all familiar with this process. Okay, that Jesus has brought salvation through all these means. And then the blessings that come from uh, his shed blood. Over in Revelation 7. If you want to make this quick comparison. Verse uh, 13 and 14. Who are these, it is asked, that are, arrayed, that are arrayed in white robes? Where do they come from? Verse 14. My Lord thou knowest, he said unto me, these are they that have come out of a great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. All right. So Jesus brought salvation through his love, through his blood, which brought a washing of our sins, which we refer to baptism. And then that, that helped us be loosed or released, if you will, uh, from uh, the burden of sin. Okay. And in doing that for us, he made us to be, let's keep reading here, he made us to be a kingdom. Now, my translation is going to read like this in verse 6. He made us to be a kingdom, to be priest unto God, and the Father to Him be glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay. And so, this is very familiar to us. We know that when Jesus forgives us of our sins, He adds us to the church. Another way of saying church is kingdom. Jesus made this clear to Peter in Matthew 16. 18 and 19. I'll give you unto you the keys of the kingdom, he said to Peter. But before he said that, he said, Upon this rock I'll build my church. I give unto you the keys of the kingdom. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John 3, he said, If you're born of the water and spirit, then you're able to get into uh, the kingdom. So a lot of passages having to do with the church and the kingdom. So he made us to be a kingdom of priests. Of priest. We remember Peter talks a lot about this in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he is reviewing for us who we are in Christ. 1 Peter 2, verse 5 You also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So notice 1 Peter 2, 5. As God's people, we are a spiritual house. We are a holy priesthood. We offer up spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices. Which puts us in contrast with the old way, the old law, where there were so many physical sacrifices that were, um, that were displayed. Verse 9, 1 Peter 2. You are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may show forth the excellencies of of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So notice the redemptive work, the salvation work that Jesus did for us, and this is being reviewed for us here in Revelation chapter 1. At the beginning of this book, it's, it's obvious that God wants the readers to be clear about, about God. Who is God? Who is God the Father? Who, he, he inhabits eternity. He he. He's the one who, who is and who was and is to come. Who's Jesus Christ? He's the faithful witness, firstborn from the dead. He's the ruler. Okay. Who's the Holy Spirit? He's the one that has brought us 
the writings so that we'll be able to understand the great love of God. And then think about these verses through verse 8. Verse 8 simply mentions Jesus as uh, the Alpha and Omega, the first and last, isn't that right? So this is another phrase that's mentioned often in this book. Revelation 1 verse 8, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega, Omega, uh, saith the Lord God who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty, the Almighty. Alpha and Omega is the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, which is clearly indicating that the Lord himself is eternal. He is God. He has no beginning and no ending. He is past, present, and future all at the same time. All right, very good. Notice uh, some personal things about John from verses 9 and 10. Where is John when he receives these visions? Island of Patmos. Okay, you see that there. Island of Patmos. Now, when you look at your Bible map, you look for Ephesus. You look at the missionary journeys of Paul, probably, on your Bible maps. Look for Ephesus. Come out into the sea. Uh, they say 50 or 70 miles, and you find Patmos there. And so, uh, in some, I was noticing in different Bibles today, somehow Patmos. Located and some do not. It's right in that area. Okay. Um, so that's where John is. It's a place that was selected by the Roman officials for a punishment. For punishment. Why is John there? Yeah, because of the Word of God. He has continued to do what he has always done. If we jump back to Acts chapter five. You remember Peter and John doing their work in those early days? And uh, we're so impressed by this example, Acts uh, chapter 5, because they had already been detained by the Jewish officials. They had already been beaten uh, a couple times. Um, notice, pick up with me in Acts 5, verse 40. Acts five forty, And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles unto them, they beat them charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They therefore departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, did they stop teaching? Every day in the temple and at home, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus as the Christ. Now, notice, this is several years later now. What is John doing? He's still doing it. He's still at it. It was unlawful when he was doing okay. God's laws were important. He has certainly got the priority of, of God's will in his, in his heart. And they didn't want him doing it in the early days. They didn't want him doing it in the latter days of his life. Um, but here he is. By the officials, rather than kill John, they put him on the island. Okay. 
Mike is making reference to uh, John 21 when Jesus is speaking to both Peter and John. And Peter was to die a violent death, but John was to also suffer persecution, but in a different way. Appreciate you mentioning that, Mike. Um, so, uh, where is he and why is he there? How is he described? How is John described here? Yeah, he is a brother. Right? That gives us an, another good view of the church. Uh, it's a family of God. It's a kingdom. But John is a brother, and he's a companion uh, in the tribulation. In the tribulation, uh, American Standard Version says, uh, "John, I'm John, and I'm a, your brother, and I'm a partaker of the tribulation." Right? So he's just like them. These these reading. These folks reading these visions, reading Revelation in those early days, they'll be able to connect to John because John has been banished to the Isle of Patmos okay, because he's preaching. They're suffering because of persecution, so they're on the same page. You know, they're on, on the same wavelength that they can understand each other. John can completely understand what they're going through. They can understand what John's going through. And you can kind of see the big picture here of why God is working all this out as he is. Okay. So that's where he's at, and that's uh, who he is. He is, uh, he is a Christian. He's a fellow servant. Notice how that is in verse 1. He's a servant. John's a servant. Verse 9, he's a brother. Okay. And that's who we are also in Christ. And, of course, what day of the week is it? It's the Lord's Day. I don't know any other day that could be than the first day of the week. This is the day of the firstborn from the dead. This is the resurrection day. And this is the day the early church uh, assembled upon. This is the day that the Lord selected as a special time belonging to him. And it's a day in which uh, he expects our commitment. So he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. Okay. No, I'm not sure uh, what in the Spirit means here. Does it mean, is it John's Spirit or is it the Holy Spirit? I've always talked, I've taken it to be that he's in the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's in a, he's in a place of, hey, I'm about to receive vision from God. I'm, I'm about to, uh, God is preparing him to receive these visions here, uh, here in just a second. All right. So, but before he does that, John's going to see a vision of Christ, a great vision of Christ, Revelation 1, beginning in verse 10, 11, and onward. Okay. So, um, notice with me, I'm going to read um, verses 10 through about verse 16. Revelation 1, 10 through 16. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, down to the foot, and girt about... Um, and girt about at the breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white as wool, 
white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto uh, fine brass, as if it had been refined in a furnace, and his voice as the voice of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth proceeded sharp, a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun that shineth in the strength. Okay. So, you know, when Isaiah was being prepared to, uh, by God to do his work, Isaiah 6, he received, he was able to look upon the throne of God, vision of the throne of God. And this is kind of similar. John is being prepared to share uh, his, what he's about to receive with people. And he is also seeing uh, some visions of God and eventually visions of the throne of God. All right, so let's, let's work through this. It says uh, in verse, at the end of verse 10, uh, Behind me uh, uh, there was a great voice as of a trumpet. As of a trumpet. One of the key ideas in the book of Revelation is the idea of victory. When you hear trumpet, you automatically think victory because they used trumpets in the Old Testament when God would lead Israel to victory or lead his people to victory, like Joshua chapter 6 and verse 20. And that um, is going to be displayed on, the, on Judgment Day as well. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So the idea of a trump, trump or trumpet uh, always carries with it the idea of victory. And again, those persecuted in these early days needed to be reminded that ultimate victory is in Jesus Christ. What you're seeing right now is not near the whole picture of what it is going to be. And so uh, the glories that waited on them, the power that God would display, the power of the gospel is to be remembered um, again and again. So I heard, as it were, a trumpet. And then notice uh, in the next verse, verse um, 12, John said, I, I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and I having turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Seven golden candlesticks. This refers to the seven congregations of Asia. How do you know that? Well, look at verse 20. Revelation 1, verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. So I like it when they just tell us what this means. So, the seven congregations of Asia are also referred to as candlesticks, golden uh, candlesticks. And so uh, you see that. And then he says, I saw the Son of Man in the midst of these candlesticks. Right. It's a wonderful thought to know that Jesus is in the midst of us. That's another great encouraging thought. We know that in worship, he promised that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, Matthew 26 and 29, that he would be with us as we partake of the Lord's Supper. We know from our studies in Hebrews, Hebrews 2 and verse 12, that as we sing, he is as a brother also in the midst of us singing. It's a wonderful thought. But not just worship. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Jesus is saying, I will be with you and never forsake you. 
I'm, I'm, I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And that was his promise in Matthew 28, verse 20, when he gave the Great Commission. I'll be with you. Jesus is in the midst of us when we're together. He's in the midst of us when we're separated. He's in the midst of us always. He's in the midst of his candlestick, uh, the church. And that's a great, great thought to really stake our lives and our faith upon. All right, so, so let's notice... Um, Who, who would be the they there? They? Just, just, I don't remember where I read that. No, no I haven't ever. I haven't. But I, I haven't read it. Was, you know, you know, it coincides with the way he drives here. You know, when he says, I saw, or, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that some... So it's, it's, in other words, it's commentators saying that, or right. or people of our day say, saying, okay. So um, that that wouldn't be unusual uh, for have such comments. But we keep in mind to the early Christians, this this was very parallel. This this made a lot of sense because you go back to Daniel and Ezekiel and other places in the Old Testament. And they were they received visions, you know. Prophecies were sometimes given through vision, and so this would be of great comfort to the to early Christians. Have you run into that idea, Andrew, in your in y'all studies? And notice here, it says the Son of Man is in the midst of the council. That again is something that if you're a Christian in those early days, Jesus referred to himself that way quite, a, quite often. Uh, Matthew 8, verse 20, uh, he said, you know, the foxes have their holes, birds have their airs, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. Luke 19:10, Jesus said, um, what did he say? I am come to seek and save the lost. I just lost me there. But anyway, Son of Man is in there somewhere. <clears throat> um, 
Mark 2, verse 10, when Jesus healed the man that was brought down through the roof, he said, as he was about to heal him, he said, so that you will know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin, I say unto you, take up your bed and walk. So, uh, Jesus was both Son of God and Son of Man. This is a very special phrase, Son of Man, uh, because this really related their Lord to them. That's it. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19, verse 10. I knew it was some, somehow there. All right. Um, so let's try to get through this vision, and then we'll, we'll close, close down here. Um, it says, he's in the midst of the candlestick. He's clothed with a garment down to his foot with a golden girdle. This would remind the early Christians of the high priest, how they were dressed. If you go back to Exodus 28, verses 3 and 4 and 5, you see they were... The high priest was was um, was clothed, you know, a lot of expensive clothing, shiny clothing. Okay, and so Jesus is uh, the great high priest now, not because of his literal clothing, but this is just a symbol of the fact that he is now the high priest under this new covenant system. In fact, if you notice here, you begin this chapter. Jesus is going to show John the words of this prophecy. So he's a prophet. In verse 5, Jesus is seen as the ruler of the kings of the earth. So Jesus is the king. And then here, he's pictured as a priest. Prophet, priest, and king. And that's, that, that, it, those three ideals ran together for the early Christians. They looked at Jesus as being all three, prophet, priest, and king for them. So there it is, um, golden girl in verse, four, uh, verse 14. His head and his hair are white as wool, white as snow. Uh, you might want to write down there Daniel 7, verse 9 on that. Daniel saw a vision of God in the same way. God's head is seen as white, as white as snow. Okay. That might be a reference there. Like Andrew is saying, we don't have to figure out every phrase to understand the comfort and the victory that is here. Also notice, his eyes were as flame of fire and his feet were like fine brass. Jesus, when he walked on this earth, as we mentioned under the idea of faithful witness, there was never a better walk on this earth. He, in a sense, it was a golden walk. It, it's, it's a pathway that we follow. First John 2 and verse 6, we we walk in his steps. As he walked, we walk. So his feet was of, of fine brass. Right? And then notice um, verse 16. In his right hand were the seven stars, and out of his mouth proceeded a sharp two-edged sword. Of course, we know the sword ideal is referring to the words of Jesus and how important the gospel is to us. Hebrews 4 verse 12 in Ephesians 6 and verse 17, it says, Take unto you the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Um, it says, His countenance was as the sun that shined. What, what event does that remind you of? It's the transfiguration. So if you, you might want to write down Matthew 17, how Jesus became as, as bright as light itself when he was transfigured. And this, this was a story that was... Uh, Say story. This was an account that was spread among the disciples. It was a great 
precious memory to the apostles how that Jesus was transfigured on that mount. And uh, they referred back to that again and again. So Jesus uh, being pictured here to John as bright as the sun that shines in its strength. Okay. So let's see. Um, in his right hand were the seven stars. Again, verse 20 says to us, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. Okay. The word angel could refer to messenger, or it could just refer to angel, to a real angel. Okay. Um, if it refers to just simple messengers, human messengers, then that would make sense because somehow or another these messages that John is getting from out there on the Isle of Patmos had to be carried to the seven churches of Asia. Somebody had to get these messages back to the churches that could be shared with other brethren as well. So did angels actually carry the messages of John to the churches or were there human beings that were going out there Brethren going out there risking their life and going to get these messages and bringing them back. Um, you know, we're so blessed now, uh, we can just, um, we, can, we can text our messages and email our messages and whatever else we do with our messages. But, you know, they had to physically get those messages to them. Unless an angel just in a miraculous way took them to the churches, which I guess would be all right as well. However they want to do it, I guess it needs to be okay with me, right? Okay. All right, so um, this just gives us an idea of some of the messages here just in chapter 1. And I wanted to illustrate how that oftentimes just reading Revelation and thinking about how it relates to other parts of Scripture will bring out some of the some of the messages that God intends for us today. It is a book of triumph. It is a book of encouragement. It's a great book of hope. What is uh, being done with John here in chapter 1, this kind of sets the stage for everything else that John is going to hear from this point on. Okay, Think about it. John is being told... You know, we're about to give you this, these, these words of prophecy and you're going to symbolize them, signify them to the rest of the brotherhood. And then he says, uh, John, here is your God again. Here is God the Father, here is God the Son, here is God the Holy Spirit. Okay. John, here's a reminder of how salvation came to you in the first place. The Lord loves you, the Lord washes you, the Lord uses his blood. The Lord has made you part of his kingdom. The Lord has, has made you a priest unto him. And he says to John, John, here is again the Lord Christ in a marvelous vision. Marvelous vision. It was so startling to John that he became paralyzed. You see it there in verse 17. Just as one dead. But the Lord is going to help him there. And we'll read more about that later. Before we close, notice verse 19 with me. And then I'm going to turn it over to Andrew and let him extend the invitation to us for us tonight. But notice verse 19. John is told this, Write therefore the things which thou sawest, and the things which are, and the things which shall come to pass hereafter. 
that kind of gives you a, an outline of the book. Okay. Notice that three-point outline. He says, first, write down the things which you have seen. Look at what John has seen here in this chapter 1. Look what he has seen. So maybe that refers to chapter 1. And then notice he says, you're going to write down things which are. That could cover chapters 2 and 3 because those are the messages to the churches. That's the seven churches, things which are. And then notice he says, you're going to be writing down things which are going to come to pass hereafter. And that could cover the rest of the chapters, chapters 4 onward about things which are uh, to come. So just kind of a three-point outline there in verse 19 concerning uh, this book. But notice, he says, you're going to be writing down things which are concerning these seven churches. Everything going on around the church in those days. In some people's eyes, that might be enough to excuse them from full service to Christ. I mean, we might even get, get in that mode, mode of thinking. If we were back there and we were suffering persecution as they were, we would say, surely, Lord, you don't expect me to be out here and being a full-fledged member of the church, serving and going out in public and, and sharing the gospel and doing as the Lord has said, surely at this time, but when you read the set, when you read Revelation chapters two and three, you see that persecution was was not used as an excuse for not being who they should be. Well, that sort of gives us a glance at chapter one. Appreciate you working through this with me, and we'll be looking at some more readings off and on, uh, just to give a good idea of what the book is all about.